you remember, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're down to our last two weeks, and I've been telling you every week, and part of this is just to get you real convenience, particularly uh, those of you that aren't used to moving around your Bible. If you open up right to the middle of your Bible and flip one book to the right from Psalms, you're going to find yourself in Proverbs. And the book after that is Ecclesiastes, and that's where we're at today. Um, so, we're in chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at all of chapter 11, and then the first uh, section of, of chapter 12, and then next week we've got one little section left, and that'll be the end of Ecclesiastes for us. So, uh, we're going to look at this in three sections, you'll see them in your bulletin, uh, but the first one we have is Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6, and so we're going to read that now, I ask that you follow along with me as we do so. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the mornings sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord, we often live as though you do not live. Uh, may your word work in our hearts today, leading us to remember you, uh, you who have created us, and you who sustains us. So we ask that you give us boldness to, to take risk, not for selfish gain, but for the sake of greater generosity. And God, teach us to find joy in the experience of being youthful, of being alive, and, and yet that we would seek to do so by being godly. Lord, give us a love for your word and a love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this first portion might sound a little strange at first. It's actually about investing. And like so many other things in, in the fallen world that we live, we've seen um, investing has been corrupted. And so it really seems strange at first, I think, to hear God encouraging his people to go and invest. Uh, it's just not what we really expect. And so really to rightly understand this, we need to have a, a fresh new view of, of what it means. Uh, and, and so I'm asking you today as we begin this, forget everything you know. Um, not everything. Uh, <laughs> forget all those terrible stories that you've heard about um, selfish and, and sinful people who have cheated and, and lied and exploited others on their way to making a profit and calling it investment. Um, and, and so let's just come to this topic with a blank slate to see how God is calling his people towards investments. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 11, it is um, not the normal sounding thing when you first read this. Uh, it's also one of our, our first, uh, the first of four commands we're going to see in this text. Uh, in this verse, the term cast there, that's a command. That's God saying, do this. And, and it reads this. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. So that's that's weird. Um, if I take a loaf of bread and I go out to the Kansas River and I throw it on the river, I come back a few days, I'm going to find it. Really? No. Uh, not unless you take this, this Israelite 
word picture and you go Amelia Bedelia on it and, and try to live this out absolutely perfectly literal, um, <clears throat> no, you're not. Uh, really what this is though, it's an investment or a, a reference to investing. Because Israel at this, at this time, we tend to picture them as real basic, real simple, but at this time there's actually a lot of trade going on. Uh, they're in the middle of a couple of regions and there's, there's all sorts of trade that's actually working through them with other nations. And so uh, the people of Israel traded perfume, uh, they traded wine, olive oil, dried fruit, uh, and grains, grains which were used to make bread. And so casting their bread upon the waters was this, this phrase that essentially meant uh, to take, take what you have and put it on the boat and send it away in, in the hopes that it comes back, this investment comes back, and you're able to make a return on it. And yes, this was a very risky thing to do because boats wrecked. Uh, there were pirates or people who acted like pirates. I don't know if they're called pirates. Uh, and there was a chance that you were working with dishonest people that were going to take your stuff and just disappear. It was hard to track them back then. Uh, and, and yet as we look at this, this is an absolute contrast uh, to what was typically done, which was hoarding what you have, uh, to take that grain and just collect it and store it up. Um, and God's here saying, don't hold on to it, but invest what, what God has given us, what he has given to us. And so in verse 2, we see the second command, one which is really countercultural for us. It says, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. See, give portions to others. Uh, maybe as, as a, in a sense of investment, but certainly as opposed to just hoarding what you have. It's this call that we, we be generous. And, and the reason it gives is because disaster might destroy everything you have and then you're left with nothing. Uh, in the Gospel of, of Luke, verse 12, verses 15 through 21, uh, Jesus tells us a similar parable uh, this warning against covetousness. There's a, a, a farmer's crop is, is so big and, and he's excited about this and so he tears down what barns he has and he builds new barns, bigger barns and, and the reason is, is so he can hoard all of that, even more of that stuff and, and his hope is that this will make his future, uh, financial future, secure. In fact, he says to himself, the farmer says, soul, no one really talks like that, do they? Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You can see what he's saying there is I have, I have a good investment for our future. I have a, uh, I've stored this away. We're good for the future. And yet what happens that night is the farmer dies. God takes his life and this grain that he has been hoarding is of absolutely no use to him. Uh, verses 3 and 4 are connected to each other. Verse 3 talks about what we do know. A cloud full of water will rain. That is something they understood. <clears throat> a tree that has fallen to the ground will remain there, meaning it's not going anywhere else. Um, and so those were things that they, they actually knew. Uh, verse 4 is about waiting for the perfect time to, to begin. Uh, the way they planted was to take seeds. They didn't have the big machinery we have, and they would just scatter it about, which is why all those old pictures are just people throwing seeds out on, on a field. And, and the problem with this was that if wind came, it would blow all your seeds away. And so they're watching the weather very closely. Uh, they don't want that to happen. Uh, also, if there's not enough rain that came, then their crops would dry up and die. And so they were constantly watching the weather with less understanding than we have of it. Um, and it could be absolutely crippling for them as far as moving forward and beginning these things. Uh, you see, if you're looking for the perfect time to begin any hard work, you're probably never going to begin that hard work. It's never the right time to get the, the degree that you desire. 
uh, or to start learning a new language or to start uh, a business or to invite your neighbors over or to do anything. If you wait until conditions are perfect, you'll never start. Um, <clears throat> what we can be sure of is, is this. If you don't plant these seeds, they will not grow. And so he's encouraging us, take the risk. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, Jesus tells a, another story about a farmer. And, and in this passage, he's, it's, it's really become a bit of a theme for us, particularly early on in this church plant. Uh, he says this, he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. See, he scatters these seeds and then he rests. Um, he takes the risk. He does this hard work of sowing seed, but then he rests because he knows that it is God who causes the growth. Um, it's an illustration of kingdom building. It's an illustration of evangelism. See, this, we're to take risk and to sow the seed of the gospel, to, to place the seed of, of, of God's word wherever God has us, uh, wherever he takes us, and, and then we're to rest and, and to see if God causes the growth. Because like we said before, if, if seeds are not planted, then the seed absolutely will not grow. Uh, and so take the risk, plant the seed. Uh, again, it's like the, the parable of the, the sower that Jesus tells in, in Matthew 13. You remember this? Uh, the man is walking and he sows seed where he goes. And some of this fell on the path. And that was eaten by birds. And, and some of that seed fell on, on the rocky gravel. And, and it grew up a little bit. But then it was burned up by the sun. And, and some of it fell among weeds. And so the weeds choked it out and, and destroyed it. And it's easy to focus on those things. But, but he sowed anyway. He, he took the risk. And the result was that some of that seed fell on the good soil and, and God grew it and it produced much grain. And so Jesus, Jesus doesn't send the disciples out. He's not sending us out to create plants because only he can do that. Uh, yet he sends us out to, to scatter seed, uh, to sow the gospel across the globe. And if you remember, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, before he ascends, he's speaking to his disciples. And this is in Acts 1.8. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They're, they're going to sow these gospel seeds in, in the fields of the earth. Are you getting this? See, we ought to take the risk of, of investing despite not knowing how it will turn out. That's the point of verse 5. Look at that with me. It says, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. We, in this day and age, we have learned so much medically and scientifically about how the world works, and yet even in 2015, we do not have any idea how a human soul comes into being. Sure, we know how to plant the seed, but we have no idea where that life ultimately comes from. It's a mystery. And as creatures, we don't know all the workings of our Creator. We also don't know what God will do with our investments of any variety. Uh, just down the street, actually, Tallgrass, it's a local brewery here, is, is opening a restaurant. It seems like they've been working on it forever. Um, <clears throat> that's an investment that they're putting into this community, into their business. On uh, the day that that opens, a tornado could destroy it. 
downtown could flood, a fire could happen. Anything could happen that absolutely ruins that investment. But it could also become the most successful restaurant in Manhattan history. And so it's a risk. It's an actual risk that's being taken. And I know when you hear this, you might be thinking, how is starting a restaurant or just some investment, how is that spiritual of any sort? And I'll tell you that it is, or at least it can and it should be something very spiritual for the Christian. Because risk requires us to trust in God. When Laura and I were praying about this church plant and still living in Kansas City, there was this, this question that we read by, by Francis Chan, and, and it really stumped us. Some of you have heard this before, but that question was, what are you doing right now that requires faith? And so we asked ourselves that question, uh, what are we doing right now that requires faith? We found we, we couldn't really answer the question. Um, and we were serving faithfully in an established church that proclaims the gospel. Um, we had the security of a paycheck coming every two weeks, and, uh, and, and that provided plenty. Our children got to go to the, a great school. It was, it was kind of living the American dream. But when we were honest with ourselves, uh, we weren't doing anything that required having that moment-by-moment moment faith in God, that, that faith to provide against the odds. Um, and so to leave that security and, and that comfort was, was difficult for us. Uh, I'm sure the, the Dunnings and the Shanahans have felt something similar to that uh, in all this. And, it, and yet it's been this faith-building um, experience just to come and, and to invest here. To see the way God's provided financially through the generosity of others who are investing in this church plant and see the wider vision for the gospel here. Uh, to see God provide providentially by, by bringing all of us into this covenant community together. Uh, to see God grow relationships in the community where the, where the gospel can be shared uh, amongst people in Manhattan who need to hear this. And, and it's been stressful at times, yes, but faith building, and it continues to be that. And that's why taking risk, making investments is spiritual. It, it leads you to look to God moment by moment. So you don't know the results before we begin anything. Uh, there's no such thing as an absolute sure investment. But God's word here says that we should take the risk anyway. Not, not to be stupid. You know, lottery tickets are not an investment, but to take the risk. Uh, investing not just financially, but with all that God has blessed us with. In verse 6, we see the other two commandments in this text. In the passage, uh, the commands are, Sow your seed and withhold not your hand. Uh, and as a reminder, verse 6 says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. See, there is sowing in the morning and sowing in the evening. And the reason is we don't know if God is going to cause the seed, or the, the seed planted in the morning or the seed planted in the evening to grow, or both or neither. We don't know. And so it's saying plant both. Uh, again, don't be lazy or fearful, but do the hard work of investing. So now I want to work through verses 7 through 10 of chapter 11. This, this portion switches a little bit. Uh, it's about our enjoyment. And I know you might be thinking at this point in Ecclesiastes, enjoyment, really, again? Uh, in fact, this is the seventh time and the last time in Ecclesiastes that we're going to be commanded to find enjoyment in, in some aspect of this life that God has given us. 
Uh, let's read and start in verse 7. Light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for your youth, <clears throat> your, uh, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Uh, the term light in verse 7 there, this is, represents being alive. It's this reminder to us, life is good. Uh, light then is contrasted with, with darkness in verse 8, which represents the impending death. Uh, in verse 8 he says, Remember that the days of darkness will be many. Uh, strangely, he's, he's asking us to remember this future event, you know, our future coming death, and, and for that to be a motivator to us in some way. And so we've got to understand that when, when we see this term remember here, it's, it's not like some nostalgic thing where, where you remember what, you know, grandma's pudding tasted like or something like that. Uh, it, it's deeper than that. It, it means that we, that we act according to what we know to be true, that we remember it in that way. And, and in English, we typically do this the opposite. Uh, we don't say it that way. We say, don't forget, and, and then whatever the statement is. Something like, um, don't forget that fence is electric. What we mean is, when you're near the fence, don't touch it because it's electric and it will shock you if you touch it. Uh, and, and so the knowledge uh, of death in this text is, is, is coming, is not meant to lead us to despair, but just the opposite, which seems a little strange. It's, but to rejoice to rejoice in each and every day that we have been given. Uh, and the truth is, this is one of those repetitive ideas in Ecclesiastes. Life is short, so enjoy the days that you are alive. And to be honest, I get kind of annoyed at this. I almost want to shout back at Solomon. Solomon, tell me something new. I've heard that seven times already. Uh, but what I've found is that every time, every time we've come across this call to joy, this call to to enjoy the life we live, that I realize I am still not living life with the enjoyment that I should. I'm not seeing the gift that life is. I'm stressing about stupid things. I'm not enjoying the fact that the sun is coming out and, and the beautiful day and family and friends and, and so many other things that I ought to be enjoying that God has gifted us with. And so we, we need this reminder. In fact, we need it way more often than Solomon even gives it to us here. Because I think as, as Christians, it's easy for us to get upset about the world we live in and fail to rejoice in the life that God has given us. Um, I try not to watch the news, mostly because we don't have a channel that has the news, but uh, it's on at the gym, and so we go in, and, and there it is, and you can't avoid it. It's on all the screens up there. Uh, and when I get on Facebook, there's always someone posting something about something going on in the world, uh, all these terrible things going on. And, and, I, and I just... <clears throat> We need to realize that if, if that information is stealing your joy, you know, if, if the, looking at the news is constantly making you grumpy about your life, do yourself a favor. Just get off Facebook. Stop watching the news. Uh, because God's not called us to know every social issue unfolding across every state in our union or to know every disaster going on in every nation on the globe. But he has commanded you here in this text and many other places to enjoy the life that he has given you. 
And so know yourself. Know whether having that information leads you to pray, leads you to help, or if it just leads you to anxious, stressful living. I'm not saying be ignorant. We ought to be aware of social issues so that we can stand up for them when needed and pray for them, but, but don't let it consume your joy instead of driving you to prayer. Uh, to Solomon's point, enjoy the light of life, life for darkness is coming. Verse 9 reminds me of a, a well-known quote by Bernard Shaw. Typically don't quote him. Um, but he says, youth is wasted on the young. And that's not even funny to young people. But as you get older, you're like, yeah, it is. Um, verse 9 says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Uh, for us, youth is a term that typically means something like teenager, college student maybe. Um, and, and really, it's, it's this term, it's not the way the Bible speaks of youth. When, when the Bible speaks of youth, it's really anyone who isn't very old. Uh, and so we have this, this kind of sliding scale of youth. It's not youth and then everyone else. It's this, this scale of your youthfulness. And so there's aspects of your youth that you should be enjoying in your 30s and your 40s, and for some people far beyond that. Uh, and, and this point is enjoy what you can do now. Don't waste that. Uh, here in verse 9, we also read this, Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Um, this, this is a message that we need for life. Um, do whatever your heart enjoys. Um, see something that seems enjoyable? Go for it. Now, be careful with this, though, because we tend to hear this, and we think it means go get drunk, go sow your oats, um, Go buy something incredibly stupid. Go jump off that thing that will surely kill you. Um, you know, those kind of things. But this isn't a call to some hedonistic pleasure. It's a call to, to something better, to God-honoring, joyful living. And, and that's the point of the second half of the statement, which says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Uh, just like we remember the electric fence is electric, and act accordingly, we're now being told that uh, to remember God, to remember that he'll bring us into judgment, that means that, that we are given freedom with boundaries. Uh, let, me, let me explain it this way. Some days when our children come home from school, they ask, what can we do? It's an open-ended question, and sometimes we tell them, do whatever you want. Um, we mean, do whatever sounds enjoyable that's proper to do. We're not saying, if you want to burn the house down, here are some matches. Uh, we're not saying, if you want to lock your little sister in the, in the closet and listen to her scream, live it up. We're not saying, if you want to have a water balloon in your bedroom, go for it, have fun. Um, and, and we're not saying, if you want to have a picnic in the middle of the road out there, go do it and have fun, enjoy. Um, we're not saying those things because there are boundaries which have been given because we love them. And sometimes it's hard to understand that because you want to have a picnic in the street. Um, but that's why. Those, those things might give pleasure for a moment, but they wouldn't honor their parents, and they aren't, um, and they aren't safe. They aren't beneficial for them long term. And, and so what we're saying is, is there are so many wonderful things to enjoy. Whatever one sounds enjoyable for you, go do it. Go play in the sandbox. Color a picture. Play with your Polly Pockets. Uh, or play school, or kickball, or, or in the yard, or, or jump on the trampoline. Go, enjoy those things. They're good. That's what God is saying here. Do you enjoy skydiving? Sky You're insane, but go, enjoy them. 
You know, do you enjoy reading classic literature and quality coffee? Uh, then sip your coffee. Read. Uh, the fact that you find joy in unique things, that's part of how God has uniquely designed you. And so do you enjoy volunteering at the breadbasket? Do that. At hammocking in the park, great. Enjoy that. Jogging, playing sports, science experiments, great. Enjoy that. See, God has given us so many wonderful things to enjoy, so enjoy them. But remember, even in those moments, we are still under the authority of God. As Sean O'Donnell says it, holiness leads to happiness. Aimless indulgence leads to endless misery. So let us remember our Creator. Remember He sets helpful, loving boundaries and, and that we live under the authority of God. And so let us make decisions that, or make choices that reflect that we actually remember our Creator. Uh, Augustine, uh, St. Augustine of Hippo, has this great quote. Maybe you've heard it before. He says, Love God and do whatever you please. Um, Again, that gets taken out of context often. you really got to hear the whole thing uh, to understand it. The full quote is, Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained to love God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. This call to, uh, to honor God in our enjoyment and with our enjoyment. Verse 10 then says, Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Uh, vexation, that's a big word for, for pain and sorrow. And the, the assumption here is that you're going to feel pain, you're going to feel sorrow in your life, um, just like you feel pain, pain in your body. Uh, but don't let the sorrow and the pain rule your life. Uh, when the day doesn't go as you planned or the situation isn't turning out uh, in your favor, don't wallow in that. Don't let that ruin your attitude. But know that God is in control and rest in that with joy. So say you're 40 um, and you feel old, and your body hurts. Um, some of you have no idea what this means. Some of you are just now figuring it out. Um, enjoy what youthfulness you still have. Because the day is coming when your body is going to hurt worse, it's going to sag more, and you're going to move slower than you can imagine even now. You in your 20s, you have no idea. Your bodies are amazing. They can do things without hurting. Um, get out and do things. Hike, jog, enjoy the world, adventure, sit and drink coffee. Um, it's an awesome stage of your life. Don't waste it. You will. Don't. <clears throat> now I know we tend to categorize things uh, into spiritual and not spiritual categories. That's the way we tend to want to think. And, and one of the things I've loved about the book Ecclesiastes is that it, it is, helps us to avoid doing that. It helps us to have this understanding that all of life is indeed spiritual. When, when we sin, that's a spiritual thing. That's a rejection of God. But when we enjoy moments that God gives us and we acknowledge even, um, even in the silence of our hearts that He is a good giver, then we are in obedience with God's Word. Uh, so when we enjoy the moments of slowly sipping coffee or climbing a tree or jogging down a gravel road, we bring joy to our Heavenly Father who has given those moments for our enjoyment. You might remember the movie Chariots of Fire. Some of you might remember it. Uh, it's a story about a, an amazing runner from Scotland named Eric Liddell. And, and he's famous really because uh, he was amazing at the 100-meter race. And, and in the 1924 Olympics, uh, he was supposed to run in this race. Sure, sure deal that he's most likely going to win this. And, and yet the race happened on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday. And so he refused to run. 
Uh, instead, he runs in a, an event he wasn't that great in, one called the, the 400 meter race. You don't have to know what meters are. Uh, on a different day that was not on the Sabbath or on Sunday, and, and, and so uh, when he goes out that day and he runs in his Olympics, he actually breaks the Olympic record and the world record on that day. And I, I mention him here not just because he's an awesome runner, but because he understood that running was a gift of God that brings God glory and, and, and joy. Um, that his being fast was, was something God had given to him. He once said of running, God made me fast, which sounds arrogant at first. Uh, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Christian, do you understand that our God is pleased with us, pleased to see us enjoy the gifts that he has given us, even just simply enjoying the life that we're living? And as chapter 12 begins, then Solomon gives more advice to young people. He says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. See, Israel, like us, like many people, often forgets their God. Uh, they got arrogant, and, and they lived a life as though there was no God at all. Uh, we find that old people, when they are getting closer to death, tend to think more about God. That is suddenly something important. Uh, in our youth, we don't. We tend to think about our future. We think, who will I marry? We think, what kind of car do I want to own? What kind of career will I have? When are we going to have kids? Uh, how can I get the raise at my job? Things of that nature. Uh, the encouragement that we have from Solomon here is not to wait until we are old, but to remember our Creator now, today, at this moment. Uh, notice this also. He says Creator, not God, but Creator. And that's because the word Creator reminds us that all the joys we have in life, we have because God has created them. Yourself. Uh, your friends, uh, the beauty of a sunset, the taste of wine, laughter, God created it all. And, and so when he says, remember, it's more than a mere knowledge, as we mentioned before. It's the sense that it changes how we actually live our lives. And then verse 2 points to our impending death. It reads, before the sun and the lights and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. It's like the opposite of creation in Genesis where we start to see everything unfolding, lights and stars appearing. This is the opposite. Everything starts to go away. Uh, the lights go out. This is an image of, of the end, of our own death. Uh, and then the rest of this is actually just paints this beautiful word picture of our bodies growing old and fail us. So it's incredibly ugly and beautiful at the same time. Um, let me walk you through it. Verse 3, And the day when the keepers of the house tremble. That's our hands. Uh, our hands, which used to provide a living and physical protection, in old age, they become weak and they tremble. It continues, and the, and, and the strong men are bent. This is our legs growing weak. And next we read, and the grinders cease because they are few. It's a great word, grinders. That's, that's our teeth. Um, and, and our options for food are starting to decrease as we lose our grinders, our teeth. Uh, and then we read, those who look through the windows are dim. That's our eyes failing us. Uh, verse 4 is speaking of our ears, at times working so poorly that we can't even hear ourselves chew. Uh, it says, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. Uh, as it continue, uh, continues, we see that uh, we sleep poorly. We wake easily. Uh, uh, it says, one rises up at the sound of a bird. And, and yet, uh, we're unable to sing as beautifully as we did in our youth. Uh, there it says, And all the daughter, daughters of song are brought low. That is our, our, our voice chords. Um, in verse 5, we see in old age we face 
fears just by moving around in simple ways. It says they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. Uh, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. The, the image of that blossoming, um, blossoming almond tree, that's, that's white hair. Uh, the grasshopper that drags along, that's the difficulty in, in which we simply move in old age. And the last thing mentioned is, is that in old age our desire fails. Uh, literally in the Hebrew there, it's uh, the caperberry fails, which sounds bizarre, but uh, they believe that caperberries would actually um, increase the appetite. And he's saying even in, the, in old age, even that will not give you an appetite for food that's gone. Uh, and so the rest of the text is just one image after another of death that awaits us. He, he says this, Man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go to the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. If you remember back to when we first began this, the first week we were in Ecclesiastes, uh, we learned about that term vanity. It's a mist. Um, see, life under the sun is a beautiful gift of God. Um, but as quick as tiny pieces of water floating through warm air, it's gone. So enjoy these short moments. Uh, and so here's, here's what we've seen in these three portions today of Ecclesiastes days. We, we should remember our, our Creator while we are still young or, or relatively long, young and, and live accordingly. And remember, that's, that's many of you. Don't think youth, youth group kind of youth. Um, we should rejoice in our youth, enjoying the gift of life before it is gone. And the first thing we looked at, uh, that we should not be fearful or lazy, but work hard and take risk in investing. Uh, as Christians, we should invest with a view that is absolutely countercultural. See, the world takes risk so that they can live in luxury. Uh, the Godward-thinking Christian takes risks so that they can be generous in the name of Christ. That's what we see in Acts 20.35, which says, uh, notice the very first part of this, by working hard, in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's our putting into action the two great commandments. We point this out to you a lot on the back of your bulletin. Love God, love neighbor. Um, invest well. Uh, the way we put these commands into practice, invest well, gain profits. Don't love that money, though. Rather, use that money as a tool to love God, to love others. Uh, and now, uh, our text today has been specifically about monetary investment, right? Um, but taking account the entirety of Scripture, it would be fair for us to extend this uh, to a view of investing in, in people. Uh, investing with your time, mentoring, things of that nature. And, and so the question becomes, what has God given you that you can hoard, that you can squander, or that you can invest, um, even if it seems risky? Time, for instance. I, I know, and I'll just give you this one example. I know when, when I work hard at the beginning of the week and, and during the times that I have set apart for that, when I complete the things that need to be completed, the return on that investment is that I actually have ec extra time um, extra free time in that sense. Time to give to my family, time to give to community service, uh, to others, so that I can give generously of my time. When I don't invest that time wisely, when I squander it by not working hard, uh, I find that by the end of the week I have nothing to give. It's got to be put in the things that could have been done earlier. And, and so take just that basic idea, apply it to the rest of your life. Um, 
and invest in the ways that, that God has given you to invest and, and the things he's blessed you with. Uh, I'll summarize, almost done here. Philip Ryken summarizes this text well. He says this, Rather than watching the wind in the clouds, imagining all the difficulties and waiting for better circumstances, we should try and do what we can with whatever God has given us in life. Pursue the dream you believe that God has given for your calling in life. Get involved in ministry. Show mercy to someone in need. Start a friendship with a neighbor and pray that God will use that relationship to lead your neighbor to Christ. And so brothers, sisters, uh, while we don't know the results, we do know that our God, who is mighty, who is sovereign, he has called us to, to, to work. He has called us to sow. Um, so let's do that. Let's, let's do the hard work. Let's take the risk and, and trust God for the return in the hopes that we might give generously. Let's pray. Lord, over and over and over again, we've seen that life is a gift and that death is coming. We thank you first for the gift of life. We thank you even more for the gift of eternal life that you have secured for us in the death of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, teach us to enjoy the gift of today, even as we anticipate the gift of forever. Sanctify us so that we may find joy in living within the boundaries that you have set for our good. Let us view, our, <clears throat> your, let us view your statutes as protective love and, and not withheld joy. Lord, make us a covenant community that enjoys each other and worship and acknowledges you and your good gifts with true joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.